Welcome back to Executive Corner, a Generis-produced podcast where we discuss real business and leadership challenges with industry trailblazers and offer valuable and actionable insights that you can start implementing across your organization. I'm your host, Luke West, bringing you tomorrow's information today. At Generis, we're connecting industry leaders through virtual events, in-person summits, and exceptional content. Our first events of the year are the Virtual American Biomanufacturing Summit, the Virtual American Supply Chain Summit, and the Virtual American CIO and IT Summit. If you'd like to learn more about our summits, these are linked in the description below, or you can head over to generisgp.com backslash events. Now for today's guest. William O'Sullivan is the CEO of Seabrook Technology Group. In his role, William has overall responsibility for all company functions, including product management, sales, marketing, HR, IT, finance, accounting, support, professional services, and customer success. With a reputation built on 30 years of succeeding together with their clients and partners, Seaprook Technology Group are a team of connected manufacturing technology experts and industry thought leaders bringing end-to-end manufacturing solutions, people, processes, and technology together to enable operational excellence for medical device manufacturers. On today's show, we discuss the impact of COVID-19 on manufacturers, how Seabrook continued to create a culture in the virtual environment, what connected manufacturing is, and what the future of manufacturing looks like. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Well, William, I am very excited to have you today on the Executive Corner Podcast. Thank you so much for uh, being here with me today. Uh, One of the questions I really find interesting about leaders is routine. So I'm really curious if there is a part of your routine that you feel sets you up for success and curious what that uh, part might be. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Uh, Great to be on with you here. I guess in 2020, routines changed a lot, didn't they? I, uh, I read The 5 a.m. Club by Robin Sharma, or actually I listened to it in an audio book uh, during 2020, and that really changed my routine. Um, I was traveling a lot in 2019 with clients all over the, the globe, really, and I put a lot of uh, miles on my, uh, my airline account. But 2020 was very different, uh, working from home. And I did read a 5 a.m. Club by Robin Sharma. Um, Got to be honest with you, I'm not, or I have not been a morning person my entire life. Uh, but that book really changed my perspective on that. Uh, getting up early. I don't always get up at 5 a.m., but I get up pretty close to it these days. And um, it really allows me to speak with my customers and uh, our employees in Europe early. I'm based in San Francisco, so it's already an eight-hour time difference. And getting up early, I think uh, around 5 a.m. sometimes is 5.30, really helps me uh, get my, my day started and sets me up for success. Yeah. And do you start work right as you get out of bed or do you give yourself any buffer time at all? I, I try to give myself some buffer time. Typically, I'll have a meeting at 6 a.m. On, on Zoom or on Microsoft Teams. So um, I try and get some coffee in. Uh, some water, try to get my, my head space and wake up a little bit before I do that. Because typically I'm on camera and I'm, uh, I don't want to look like I just got out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I, I started to wake up early, not 5 a.m. early. That's, uh, that's a bit too early. We actually had a 5 a.m. club at my university back in the day okay. based off that book. 
And I never signed up for that because at that time I was waking up at 12 p.m. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, why wake up anytime earlier than that? And, and as you mentioned, COVID-19 has had a huge impact on so many different routines, lives, and industries. So how has the global pandemic impacted medical device manufacturing, which is what Seabrook primarily deals with, and manufacturing industries in general? Uh, 2020 was a strange year for medical device manufacturers. You know, our clients at Seabrook are medical manufacturers all over the globe. Um, and it's really had, uh, it's been a tale of two industries, I would say. Um, I think about manufacturers who make uh, things like hips and knees, things for elective surgeries. Um, during the pandemic, the elective surgeries are really canceled or postponed, some cases indefinitely. I think about my aunt uh, who had a knee replacement in December with her second knee replacement. Her first one was in, in 2019, but uh, her second one, it was scheduled to be at the start of 2020, like uh, in March sometime. And uh, that surgery got postponed a number of times. So if you think of the impact that has on the supply chain for the medical device that's been uh, input as part of that process, it, it had a massive impact really on medical device manufacturers. So any anyone who manufactures anything for uh, elective surgeries were really badly affected by the pandemic. On the flip side of that, anyone who manufactured things that are directly related to a COVID-19 defense or treatment had a great year and couldn't deal with the, the demand. Think of ventilator manufacturers, COVID-19 test kit manufacturers, PTE manufacturers, they all had demand that they couldn't really keep up with during the pandemic. So it's really been a tale of two industries when it comes to the medical device manufacturing. And in manufacturing in general, I would say that a lot of companies had to change and to pivot to really address demand that's there in the market that might not necessarily have been there before. You think of how many new mass manufacturers there are this during the pandemic. You know, uh, people manufacturing, um, you know, fashion and style math. So there's been a lot of, of growth in certain areas of manufacturing and uh, a lot of decline in others. Yeah. And crazy year. <laughs> yeah. And, and you alluded to just how close this can get to your home with affecting your aunt, how different manufacturers like mass manufacturers are becoming fashion statements nowadays. It's interesting to see those trends and, and just how close to home it can get. How, as we focus on life during the pandemic, how can organizations and how did Seabrook remain positive through this level of transition and potential crisis or crisis? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a big change, really. We focus on implementing manufacturing systems, as we said. A lot of that is going on site and seeing the tangible manufacturing that's been done, implementing systems to track and trace the product as it's been manufactured. Through the pandemic, we were not able to go on site to our customers. So our travel expense bill in 2020 was very different from that in 2019 because everyone was working remotely. In fact, I shut down all our offices uh, in mid-February of 2020. So everyone has been working remotely since then. And I think we have one really frontline COVID-19 manufacturer uh, that makes a, a test kit that we, you know, we got special clearance to go on site and assist them to obviously they have to ramp up production significantly. For the most part, our employees have been remote for uh, the best part of a year now, working from home, 
And it's a different dynamic from working in an office or being on site at our clients. We really have to adopt uh, a remote working mindset. So what we do with our, our clients is we have remote workshops uh, where they talk us through their manufacturing processes. We'll actually have uh, someone on the client side walk through the the factory with an iPhone or uh, another recording device and show us their manufacturing processes remotely. And, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, when they come back out of the factory floor, we'll be able to ask some questions and, you know, take the process to a diagram. It's not very different from, you know, walking the line with yeah. uh, our clients. For our employees, it's been, you know, difficult managing home life and remote working. It is important really for us to ensure that the culture that we had as a company remained through the pandemic and even expanded. Well, we have a very specific culture which puts our customer first. Uh, difficult to do when everyone is you know, remote and removed from the customer. So keeping our employees engaged with that and uh, understanding what's going on with our employees uh, in their life. You know, if they've got young kids at home who were previously in school and are you know, running around under the desk while they're trying to take off. So it's important to understand that dynamic. Yeah. And um, we, we had to be there for our employees for that. Yeah. So, so you talked about how keeping employees engaged has been a, a major challenge. You know, that's something that's, that's crossed many different industries. A lot of the C-suite executives that I talk to, what tangible things have you implemented to encourage engagement and what have been some of the challenges and opportunities? I'm sure there's been a multitude of both, but like what, what are the tangible things that you've seen so far? And I guess now this 11, almost 12 months of, of working from home. Yeah. Uh, the important thing that we found was to increase communication, uh, increase visibility for our leadership team. So step number one really for that is video calls and not phone calls. You know, making sure that we're visible as a leadership team can be seen by the, all employees, that they still know what we look like and uh, that they can see smiles on our faces and positivity are very important. And to step up the cadence of communication was very important as well. Prior to the pandemic, we would have had a all-hands meeting every quarter, um, and now we've had a, a much more frequency, uh, or much higher frequency, I should say. Um, and uh, we've also themed them. So, for example, uh, just before the holidays, we had an all-hands meeting, which was uh, ugly sweater competition. So everyone in the city, everyone in the company from all across the globe you know, from our offices in the Philippines to here on the West Coast of the U.S., dressed up, and we had a costume competition, and we gave away uh, an Amazon gift voucher to to the winner who, I don't know where he got the costume, but he had a, a great set of uh, reindeer antlers <laughs> that took up his entire video profile. So <laughs> keeping people uh, positive and engaged uh, is very, very important. Yeah, and and it's the little things that, that truly do matter in a lot of those moments because even for myself you know I missed the office uh, quite a bit especially young in my career um, it's really important to, to kind of have that environment for support and and motivation and encouragement and and mentorship so there seems to be kind of a diluted no. yeah go ahead 
Yeah, just one thing sprung to mind. I know you're going to try and move on to your next question. But uh, one thing we did early uh, in the pandemic was we created a stipend for our, our folks who are working from home to allow them to buy ergonomic chairs, to buy standing desks, uh, to you know get additional monitors and uh, peripherals at home. And we kind of kept, we kept emphasizing the fact that you need to stay healthy. You know, not just physically healthy, obviously, which you need to do in a pandemic, but mentally healthy. Uh, sitting there tied to your desk all day is uh, is not healthy. So yeah. you need to get out, get go for a walk, uh, go for a run, or whatever your yeah, your hobby of choice is. And we really encourage that with our employees, spending time with family uh, as best they can, and um, uh, making sure that they're healthy. Yeah. I, I've started going for walks more in the year of 2021 and I now have a boxing bag too. So two, two extra things on my uh, docket to help me stay mentally and physically healthy during, uh, during the pandemic. So that kind of ties into my next question of the idea of the office now is so diluted. What does it even mean? Is there more of a pressure to be always on? And, and if so, how are you managing both employee and client expectations through that always on mentality? Hmm. Yeah, especially in our industry, most of our clients are manufacturers who uh, manufacture 24-7, right? Um, so we were already set up really for 24-7 support. Uh, we have what we call follow the sun support. I mentioned we have offices in the Philippines, India, Ireland, UK, US. So, you know, we've got most of the time zones covered with that uh, from a support perspective, but that doesn't really alleviate the problem of individuals expected to be always on. You know, our clients uh, expect really quick responses to emails, to phone calls, to uh, instant messages. And it's important really for us to set boundaries. And I think this is not a, a problem unique to what we do, supporting manufacturers, but to all clients. It's important to be both available, but to also boundaries. So that's uh, something that we try to instill in our folks who are dealing with customers. I will say, though, that, um, you know, we have a lot of billable consultants who are billing the customers and the utilization rate, which is uh, our metric for understanding how many billable hours are are uh, being used per person has, you know, gone over a hundred percent in um, for many of our, our folks because they're just at their desk all the time during the pandemic at their home office. Obviously that's not healthy nor sustainable. So it's important, like I said, to set boundaries and we encourage our, our employees to set those boundaries with the clients. Mm-hmm. And, and what are some, some boundaries that, like, how do people go around setting boundaries for themselves in, in like a really clear way? Well, it just comes down to communication, uh, regular cadence of communication. So with most of our clients, especially ones that we're running real big projects for, we'll have a daily stand-up meeting. And during that time, we, we try to say, engage with our clients, right, to on a personal level, not just, you know, talking about project tasks and, uh, and how we're executing the project, but also uh, understanding their dynamic at home. And, um, you know, if, if you've got someone who's sick uh, from COVID-19 or, or from, uh, you know, just a child being sick at home, you know, just, just tell the client that, 
it's, it's important to be open and honest and transparent and just to say what you can do and what you can't do. That's actually a key part of our culture. We call it, you know, integrity. Um, just say what you can do, say what you can't do. And if you commit to something, uh, get it done. Keep an open and honest lines of communication. Yeah. So I'm curious now if you could talk a little bit about your history and experience in manufacturing and technology. And what did you learn in your early work that you've applied to medical device manufacturing technology? Yeah. Uh, so I've been in this industry for 14 years now. Um, all that time really has been implementing uh, manufacturing systems for medical device and other industries as well, such as semiconductor. And the real thing for any organization, uh, any implementation you're doing is change management, uh, understanding what the as-is state is and what the to-be state is going to be. Particularly a medical device, a medical device manufacturer, your typical medical device manufacturer is very, very change averse and very risk averse. But for good reason. You know, if you're manufacturing a pacemaker that's going into someone's body, any change to that manufacturing process comes with associated risk. If you mess up the, the device that's being manufactured, uh, lives are at stake. So, um, so rightly change averse and risk averse are clients and helping them through that change process is really um, where we've come to excel at Seabrook and something I learned very early on. The decision to go and implement a uh, manufacturing system rather than tracking things on paper, which is still what 60% of medical device companies do, um, the decision to even do that can be years in the making. The process to implement the paperless manufacturing system can also be years. It's, it's not a fast-moving, uh, rapid startup that we're dealing with uh, with our medical clients. It's a very change and risk-averse environment. So guiding our customers through that is, I guess, my, my biggest learning in my career and my, still my biggest challenge in my career to this very day. Yeah, <laughs> that makes, I mean, it makes sense with, with legacy and risk and, and everything that's going on with, with all these industries, especially um, when it comes to people's lives. So explain why connected manufacturing is so important and like with the work that you're doing, how is it conceived and, and why? Because I'm sure it ties into a lot of what you just mentioned. Yeah, like I said, um, 66% by, you know, some analysts recommend or uh, uh, research, 66% of the medical manufacturers in the U.S. still use paper to track their manufacturing processes. So what product has been manufactured, who is working on it, what parts go into it, etc. We actually call this the five M's of manufacturing, man, method, machine, uh, measure, and material. So uh, all these M's are being tracked on paper for most of our clients. And, you know, our mission really is to get them away from paper to a digitalized environment. And we have uh, uh, kind of a roadmap that we've put together for that. We used to call this concept end-to-end -end manufacturing solutions incorporating people, processes, and technology, which I'm sure you agree, Luke, is a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> So uh, we wanted to come up with a way of uh, encapsulating that in a, in a single phrase. And it's kind of a funny story, actually. I was 
on vacation in Poland at the time. It was uh, seven or eight years ago. I was in a small city in Poland, and uh, it just came to me one morning. Connect the manufacturing. <laughs> Because everything is connected together. If you if you th if you think of um, uh, the supply chain for a medical manufacturer, uh, it's all connected together. You have to have the correct parts. The people have to be trained to build the product. Uh, the product has to be certified. It's all connected together. And we use this concept. We call it from dock to dock. Dock being the incoming goods uh, dock where the truck backs in and brings the materials into a factory, the doc, which is the doctor who's actually delivering the end product, uh, in, whether it be, you know, an invasive surgery or um, other type of medical device. So uh, connected manufacturing really brings all these things together, the entire supply chain um, within the manufacturing environment from doc to doc. Mm. And, and it's amazing how many of those Eureka moments come from stepping away from the job and getting some, some time away, some vacation, whether it's in Poland or, or anywhere else. That's where all my best ideas come from. Mm. So it doesn't surprise me that that's where you came up with the, or the manufacturing. <laughs> or the shower is a fantastic spot yeah. too for some great thoughts. That, yeah. There's a whole trend of shower thoughts that who even knew that that would be a thing ever. But I mean, hey, the world has branded it and I'm sure it's somewhere. There's a whole platform of them. Uh, but for medical device uh, manufacturers, how can they survive or even thrive in the midst of change, impact, crisis? Because as you mentioned, there's so many things that happen even outside the pandemic that can shift day-to-day -day operations. So how can they survive through those things? Uh, we saw a number of good examples of this. Um, and we'll see further examples of this in the pharmaceutical industry with the vaccine, I believe. Uh, a number of medical device manufacturers who, at the start of 2020, never even thought about manufacturing a ventilator or PPE or um, anything like that, uh, they pivoted. You know, they retooled. Say if you're a, um, one of those medical device manufacturers that manufactures devices for elective surgeries, their demand just plummeted. Right, so they had to pivot and to not be change averse, which, like I said, is a, a big problem in the industry. Uh, but embrace the change and retool and reconfigure and understand the new dynamic of the market, which is ever changing. And we'll see this, I believe, with vaccine manufacturers in in 2021, especially here in the U.S., where where the the new administration has enabled some uh, defense money to be spent. So uh, we might see pharmaceutical manufacturers take the design of vaccines and tool up their facilities to manufacture those vaccines. Uh, for example, you see the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. They're already talking with other manufacturers of, uh, of pharmaceuticals to actually you know, uh, license and sell, license manufacturers and sell the uh, vaccines. And we did see that with the medical device manufacturers in 2020. We saw a number of our clients who, you know, never built a ventilator before. They retooled their entire operation and made, you know, hundreds of thousands of ventilators. Uh, that was driven actually by uh, Medtronic, who, who, in the interest of uh, the global good, they open sourced their design for ventilators for anyone to manufacture um, so understanding the dynamic of the market, being willing to change and to embrace change, I think that's the best way to uh, survive or even thrive. Yeah. 
And, and as you mentioned, I think with the licensing of vaccines to manufacturers, I think Canada just made an announcement today, something along those lines uh, too, of, of how they're going to outsource some of that manufacturing. So for medical device manufacturers, what does 2021 and beyond look like for them? And how does digitalization, the connected manufacturing for MedTech 4.0 support uh, the medical device industry moving forward? Yeah, well, I suppose the good news, especially for those badly affected medical manufacturers who do manufacture devices for elective surgery, um, things will pick up. You know, um, hospital capacities are starting to come back down after the winter spike in COVID-19 cases. But like I said, change is very important, being able to manage change and to embrace it. If you've archaic legacy processes which are built on paper, they're very difficult to change. Uh, Having a a fully digitalized platform for your manufacturing and for your the history of uh, your devices or what we call an electronic device history record, that's key really um, to be able to change. It's uh, it's much quicker to change a digital system than it is a paper system. Um, Some people don't believe that but it's very much true. So the connected manufacturing concept that we bring, we call it in, in full, we call it connected manufacturing for MedTech 4.0. That allows companies to be more agile, uh, to have better defined processes and processes which are easier to change. And, you know, med device is not the only um, industry that's being digitalized, but it is a laggard really when it comes to uh, technology adoption due to that. Uh, risk of our um, approach. And we'll, I really think we'll see, you know, um, this pandemic has led a lot of people to rely heavily on technology. I mean, look at us, we're doing this remotely, whereas uh, maybe if we're pre-pandemic or post-pandemic, we would have done this in your studio. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, we see the same things for manufacturers. A lot of our support staff have moved uh, remote, um, they've moved outside and they're working from home. And if you if you're tracking everything on paper, people who are remote from your your facility are not able to see what's happening in real time. So having uh, connect manufacturing digitally tracked, you know, viewable from a tablet or for a laptop remotely, that'll really change the dynamic really for the medical device manufacturer uh, going forward into 2021 and beyond. Mm-hmm. And as you've talked about a lot on this episode about change management and just everything that has changed in the last year, I'm really curious what leadership lessons you've learned throughout the pandemic and maybe what qualities have been most beneficial to you as a leader, as CEO during the last uh, 12 months. Has anything kind of stood out to you the most as being the most important? Yeah. um, Well, firstly, this is the personality of mine, which I'm lucky to have, is that I, I don't really panic when it comes to crisis and I'm able to think methodically and come up with a plan to address any risks or issues or uh, business plan changes that we require. And really, uh, I guess the things that I mentioned, agility, being able to quickly adapt and change and communicate said change and keep up that cadence of communication and um, openness and honesty with uh, our team and our, with our clients has been the most beneficial, really, to me. All about 
being agile and <laughs> being able to communicate. Yeah, two two lessons that have been definitely important over the last twelve months has been that that agility and ability to communicate. So, William, I thank you so much for for joining me today. The work you're doing at Seabrook is is fantastic, and uh, I thank you so much for dedicating some of your time and, and wisdom to our audience today. Thank you very much, Luke. It's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. It only takes 30 to 60 seconds. We have some great leaders coming up in the next few months that you won't want to miss. As a reminder, at Generis, we're connecting industry leaders through virtual events, in-person summits, and exceptional content. Our first events of the year are the Virtual American Biomanufacturing Summit, the Virtual American Supply Chain Summit, and the Virtual American CIO and IT Summit. If you'd like to learn more about our summits, they're linked in the description below, or you can head to generisgp.com backslash events. For all of our updates, you can also follow us on LinkedIn at Generis, which I've linked below as well. Talk to you all again soon.